Hello and welcome to the Enduro World Series podcast episode 17. My name is Rick McLaughlin and you are in the right place for all things EWS and EWS E-related. Rory Cunningham joins me this week. Rory, how are you getting on? I'm uh, all the better for seeing you the weekend, Rick, but are we really at episode 17 already? Yeah, I know. I mean, time flies whenever you're talking nonsense, doesn't it? Um, we actually did a bit of bike riding together, um, socially, the other Sunday night, nearly 30k on the e-bikes. Pretty glorious, wasn't it? It was indeed, and uh, nice to escape the valley and sample some of Dunkeld's finest trails with uh, some pretty great weather and some fairly mediocre company, but... <laughs> every time I, every time I come up I always say um you know how great it is and how how I love being there and how you know getting on some fresh trails in a new environment's brilliant and uh I always say oh, I'll be back soon and I very rarely back it up so this is a a public statement that um this time we need to make a conscious effort to return um in the near future yeah um the only negative of course being uh whenever I manage to uh like some kind of ginger javelin propel propel myself into the ground. Um, you were going fast before then, to be fair. I thought, yeah, I thought I'd have a crack because it's a bit of trail I think I know quite well, and I thought I'll dive in front of uh, Rory here and show mm-hmm. him how it's done. You know it even be- you know it even better now that you were face down in it. I know even <laughs> yeah, I know exactly not to take that corner just as wide in future, but. Um, I actually, uh, I've got good news from that as well in that I thought I would have, that was my, I managed to crash in a right hand corner, but still land on my bad shoulder, which is my left hand shoulder. But um, the good news is that it's just like I've had a crash on it and it's not wrecked. That's when I wrecked in Madeira and I sort of thought that whenever I came off, here we go, this is a, a summer of pain, but it's actually all right. It's just a bit sort of oozy. So I'll take, I'll take oozy over crippling pain yeah the week but um always yeah i think everyone's heard the e-bikes are great chat a lot but it's i mean it still blows my mind a bit the amount of trails that we actually got to ride between late afternoon and it getting dark and we stopped for an hour in the middle and had some pizza in the middle of it um right we promised everyone a theme this week and it's a good one one win wonders riders who have won a single ews some big names some interesting races and some surprise packages along the way. So let's get it started. So, yep, this is riders who have just a single win to their name, which is kind of a bit of um. I always kind of think this is kind of an interesting one because there's definitely, there's definitely one of two things that can happen whenever you win a high-level international race, isn't there? It's either everything you had it added up on the day and you got the win or it's a window into winning a lot of other big name races. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's quite an interesting thing to look at. So some surprising names on this list, as I say. The first of our one-win wonders, and we're going to do these uh, chronologically, no other than Nikolai in where you are currently sitting, the Tweed Valley, back in 2014. A memorable victory for uh, one of the gentlemen of the sport, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and, and this was actually my first crack at an EWS. As uh, not to uh, as not to well. bring it back to not to bring it back to you. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, but no, I do remember this. So I can I can comment as I was there, albeit aboard a rental bike. But um, yeah, Nico, uh, I kind of I think this was probably the the real breakout race for him, and um, mm. he was teammates with Scott Laughlin at the time, um, right for Cube Action team. And uh, definitely made the effort to come across and, and get acclimatised with the, the trails in the Tweed Valley ahead of the race. Um, it's interesting, interesting, actually. It's, I've, I've got... I kind of feel that, like, the Tweed Valley is one of those weirdly specific places that I kind of think, that, you know, there are there are places that we go to as, you know, the Enduro World Series that if you're an extremely talented mountain biker are pretty straightforward to go fast at, whereas I think the Tweed Valley is a different mindset, isn't it, which... Which I kind of think makes this one win wonder a bit more impressive somehow. Yeah, interestingly as well, like if you if you look at the actual um, the timings from the race, he made up pretty much all his time uh, in day one, which was at Inerlithan on the kind of steeper, more technical tra- uh, trails uh, that, like you mentioned, are almost the ones that are the hardest to get your your head around. I know there was quite famously a lot of. Uh, 
multiple race winners and former champions that really struggled um, to get their head around the stages and, and the conditions. But um, if you look at the day two racing, uh, you had the the chase and pack kind of reeling him in, Justin Leo at the front of them, and he was close by the end, but ultimately ran out of stages. So um, a big win for Nico Lau, and I think you know Justin Leo nipping at his heels was was probably a sign of things to come, wasn't it? He played it cool, didn't he, Nico? He sort of um, he rounded that race out really well. Is are those? I mean, you've did you race all the EWS rounds that were in the valley? Uh, yeah, I raced, there was two of them. I raced both of them. Yeah. Did they sort of have they informed you at all? I mean, we're talking about in another podcast um, how you're involved in planning the stages out, especially for the EWSE for the Victoria. EWS and EWSE Tweed Valley this season. Did did those races inform you at all? Did they sort of tell you what works, what doesn't work around your neck of the woods? Yeah, I think. I mean, there were 2014 and 2015. So we're talk, although we're only talking kind of six, seven years ago. Uh, I think the sports come on a lot in that time, and you know, riders are going faster. Bikes have changed. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like I've I've definitely looked back on those races and you know remembered personally what I enjoyed and what I didn't and uh, the kind of style of stages they 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 used and you can you can reference some of the timing and stuff but you know I do feel everybody's kind of going faster these days, uh, but yeah I think it's it's always good to to learn from and and look back on but at the same time there's been so much evolution in the sport and. Um, you know, if you look at the if you look at the names from the two thousand and fourteen race, you've got Nicolau, Justin Lee of Joe Barnes, uh, the top three. Um, and maybe Joe will race. I I doubt the other. Maybe Nicolau and EWSE, and then Florian Nicolai is the kind of first name in there that you know we we expect to see there up there this uh, this year. So there's there's definitely th- times have changed, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? You talk about. Um... You know the Enduro World Series being a relatively young sport, but if you look back to the sort of the bike technology, even you know as recently as that, it's all changed, isn't it? Like they were really sort of long travel trail bikes then; they weren't really race bikes. But yet at the same time, you look at some of the names that are in there: Class Axe, like Florian Nicolai, and fourth Martin Mays, and seventh. They would have been very, very young then, and mm. already turning up to a very difficult place like that and getting inside the top ten. Where did you end up? I'm just looking down the results here. Sixteenth. Mm. Care to talk that? Care to talk that one through us? I can't imagine you were that happy with that, were you? Uh, your standards. I certainly had my eyes open to how fit I needed to be. Um, I think I hemorrhaged a, a fair amount of time on the flat stages. Uh, I think I, I think I won one of them, um, one of the steeper, more technical ones. But it was my kind of first. It was, it was dipping my toe in it for the first time, really, and um, a local race. I maybe expected to do better than I did, you know. Maybe expected to do better, and I think that's kind of the attitude I've always had. But um, yeah, it was kind of it was it was eye opening. I think you know when you've got fifteen guys ahead of you who some of them have never ridden there before and they're beating on your on your own trails. You realise, you know, at, at the same time I was racing World Cups and in a head to head I would have backed myself to beat pretty much all those guys at the time speed wise, but it's a different game. It's a completely different yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, um, you you look at there. I mean, you you did manage to get home four spots higher than Richie Rude, and I think I remember reading in an interview with him that uh, that was the sort of that was a race that opened his eyes to not being able to run downhill with handlebars in enduro, just because it was <laughs> the trees were me. so tight, were so tight and so close around him all the time. Um, Nico Lai, of course, we're hopefully going to see him. Um, back in action in some EWSE races this season. I know he was part of that Peugeot squad last time out, um, and it was great to see him and catch up. And uh, as I say, one of the absolute gentlemen. That Tweed Valley race in 2014, uh, the pro women's race run by, won by Tracy Mosley and Caroline Chausson second, Cecilia Ravenel in third. I should point out uh, a repeating theme at the start of this um, podcast in that there has been statistically very, very few women who have won an Enduro World Series race. Um, I think it, I been... think that shows it just kind of backs up what you said. You have some riders who 
the car, you know what I mean, the stars are aligning and they'll they'll win, you know what I mean, on the day they'll be the best rider and that might be like we're seeing here, kind of the only, the only victory they've had and then also, I mean, you look at the run that Cecile's been on, that Tracy was on before her or, you know, her and Anne Caro certainly were battling for wins early on and then, in, yeah. in, and then you know, when Cecile had her accident and had to step away, you know, Isabel was the dominant force, so... Yeah, um, it's definitely that that field has been dominated by some superpowers, really, as opposed to, um, as you say, the stars aligning different uh, pro men squeezing victories. But we do have a couple of pro women in here who are currently on one win each, and we'll get to them shortly. Just a quick before we leave the Tweed Valley in twenty fourteen, a quick shout out there. Number ten coming in just behind Jared Graves, Gary Forrest. Great to see. Can get it. Right on to. Our very next one win wonder, and it was at the same venue the very next day or the very next year. Justin Leov in twenty fifteen, um, his second the year before behind Nico Lai, um, just ahead of Joe Barnes, which was a big result for Joe as well in twenty fourteen. Um, so Justin, I mean, obviously a lot more difficult for him to come over and check out the trails than it might have been for Nico living in France, but um, he. Uh, he certainly put down what was an absolutely superb performance in 2015. Do you remember much about that uh, that race? Yeah, this is a really interesting one, actually, because I think it kind of sums up Justin, uh, like who he who he was and how he was as a racer. He, just learning from the, the previous year, and um, there is actually a bit of a story behind this, so I have this on good authority, and this is from Mr. Uh, ben Arnett. Who, uh, Hi, Ben. Who, despite hating e-bikes and loved gravel bikes uh, and salted licorice, uh, was also a mechanic for Trek World Racing at the time. And Justin um, had just kind of moved to, to enduro in, in the kind of, I'd say, 14-15 kind of season. It was still working uh, with the young kind of downhill team at the time behind the scenes. And he basically, from the year before, in 2014, um, because the, the maps were very similar, like we had a day at Interlethan, and in a day, kind of people's Glen Tress. He basically decided that the final stage, which was from the the mast at Glen Tress down, which is a, a long, flat, not very technical trail, where it really comes down to to fitness and and roll speed, and there's some horrible little climbs. And effectively, he'd made the decision before the race that that was the stage that was going to win or lose the race. So he kind of tiptoed through. The morning stages, which were kind of steep and muddy, we had some we had some pretty bad weather, and the race actually ended up getting shortened uh, by two stages. But uh, yeah, he basically ran a setup that day that was exclusively for the final stage. Um, I think he put ten seconds into everybody. Um, That's incredible. Ten seconds into everybody, he put twenty six seconds into me, so almost half a minute. <laughs> I was in I was in third going into the final stage, and then threw the anchor out. I had my worst stage because I was. Well, I wasn't an enduro racer at the time. Uh, went from th- went from third to fifth, and he went from fifth to first. You know, talk about talk about tactics. Wow. I don't think there's been not in my memory. I don't think there's been tactics exclusively at one point. And talk about you know what I mean coming in at the death as well, like leaving it to the last stage to 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 put that down. I mean, certainly not that late in the race. I mean, we've seen in the past places like Lubarnachea with the. Uh, the monster Parvaso stage there, which is like 12k long, you know, we've seen people set bikes up for that stage, and that's, but that's purely like that's having their hand forced because it's that long and that brutal that you've got no choice but to do that. Mm. But I've not, yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head where I've gone that's a, mm. a specific setup for a stage that late in the race that, yeah, I mean, if you had a puncture or a tip off somewhere on the way to that stage never mind being contention and it's it's all for yeah. nothing but anybody that, um, anybody that raced that as well like the the stage previous to that was because we had like a pretty dry first day and then the weather rolled in so the like i said the race got cut by two stages because of the weather and the stage before the final stage was horrible like it was steep you know probably like three four inches of mud like peanut butter style mud so you'd like no matter what tie you had on it was clogged, and uh, yeah, I mean to to have the confidence to be like, right, this is all going to come down to this last stage, and it was the longest one. I think it was about eleven minutes. Um, 
and you know to have the confidence to go right that's what's going to come down to you know if it's it's one of these things i mean pretty amazing tactically and you know got yeah the win, got, I, I got think, the win because of it i think i might be wrong but i i kind of think that might be the last ews we see in such a remarkable combination of headgear as well justin running the sort of xc helmet and it looks like i'm just looking at a photo from during that race with sort of it must be a buff underneath it and then a uh, a massive pair of riding glasses as well. Yeah. But he got the job done and that's and that probably was all part of that setup as well, wasn't it? Being able to get enough air in and be able to sort of give it full gas. Um Rory Cunningham there, home and fifth. Yeah, I'd learned from the I'm gonna say I'm gonna say were you happy with that? And I automatically know that the response whenever I ask you that is usually no. So uh. but, what are your thoughts on that? I was. I mean, you're you're behind the guy. Some dude called some dude called Fabian Burrell beat you home. Tr- yeah, beat Mark Scott. Though, so that's the main thing. Truth be told, thing, yeah. truth be told, no matter what, like looking back on it, no matter what I did, there was no way I was gonna. I didn't have the fitness for it. Like, you know, I was there or thereabouts going into the last stage, and I think this was this was actually for me and. I, I don't know, this is about previous winners, not myself. But this was the point where I was like, if I want to do this competitively, if I genuinely want to be good at this, I need to focus on it. As in, you can't just... I think there's certainly venues like this. I, this there's maybe other venues where they're steeper and more downhill and less about fitness, but this was one of the venues that I was just like, well, no matter what I did fitness-wise where I was at the time, there's no way I would have beaten those guys in the last stage. Which, to so, be honest, and to be honest, yeah, it is. It's a valid point, isn't it? In that it's really from sort of this season onwards that we enduro, I guess, had evolved so quickly that I think riders were realizing that, and it was mm-hmm. becoming, you know, a standalone discipline with a standalone set of um, things you needed to be good at. Yeah. Um, just having a little look at those uh, final results, Greg Callahan and third. That was. Um, that was a little sort of inkling of what was to come from him as well, wasn't it? I believe that was... Uh, was this not the, the week after he won in Ireland? Or, I think it was, yeah. Or maybe it was uh, the week after he... Did he win? He, I'm trying to think. Was there two or three races in Ireland? There was three, wasn't there? And he won two of the three. Yeah, surfing a wave of confidence, um, Greg Callahan at that time. And, uh, yeah, he'd go on. He'd win another race, another couple of races. Mm-hmm. Um, the next couple of years. Um, yeah. Honourable mention for uh, Reese Wilson here, who actually won the under twenty one in his only EWS appearance. Um, he managed to see off Adrian Daly, who was, uh, you know, arguably almost unbeatable as an under twenty one. Um, so yeah, w- will we see him back in the mix uh, towards the end of twenty one? Maybe an e bike. <laughs> Well, you're 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 saying it out loud into the microphone. I'm not. Um, Reese Wilson, he would have finished twenty seventh in the overall, and Adrian Day thirty third, fortieth position. One Cedric Gracia, still having a go. Good, right. Our next uh, one win wonder. We're actually we're whizzing through them. Actually, we need to throttle back a bit. But um, I have a bit more to say about this one because it was my first ever EWS um, that I covered, and it was none other than Win Masters in Rotorua, twenty seventeen. Um, debut win for Win. This it sort of baffled me a bit as I knew I had to create a script the next day, but. I couldn't work out how I was going to do it as he basically just boxed clever all day. He had, I mean, there was horrible conditions, um, lots of rain, lots of routes. I remember it was my first time, genuinely my first time, trying to film interviews that I was conducting at the same time that I was conducting them. Um, camera kept steaming up. Uh, I was just in a general sort of mess. And when just kind of kept his head whenever everyone else was having disasters he sort of he got round in third fourth fifth place on every stage and it was enough to get him the win on a an all kiwi podium if i remember right yeah must be one of the just off the top of my head it must be one of the few ews races where the winner hasn't won a stage yeah 
I think so. I think so. Um, he. That was. I think it was. It was one of the first times that we'd seen the sort of the goggle lenses out of goggles. It was really like, Rotorua. It's um. It's that kind of like tropical rain where it's torrential, but it's still very very humid, and anything that is transparent just automatically steams up in it. Yeah. Um. I believe. Um. I believe some of the field got through stage one before the weather. I think. So if you if you look at the results, like I think wind was actually down relatively early, and a, a lot of the people down late all had really poor first stages, and then were kind of clawing back. Um, I know Eddie Masters went on a bit of a tear, kind of midway through the day, and then from what I can remember, his dropper post broke, and it basically broke and stayed fully extended. <laughs> Ideal. <laughs> which, Ideal. Which sounds like a fate like worse than death, if you ask me. Um, and he kind of managed to ride that and I think came back at the end but but ultimately fell short but like you say I think wind just made the most sense of the conditions and and played it smart you can you can see how erratic the stage results are for the riders around him like there's literally there's literally no pattern stage to stage Um, well we go through wind wind results um, over the seven stages second fifth seventeenth sixth second 19th and then a 15th and that one on the race which is pretty i definitely say if it's not it mightn't be the one that um the winner hasn't won a stage but it's certainly probably the one that they've won with the lowest average stage uh position if you compare that to matt walker who was second three seconds back in the overall and he finished a seventh a second a fourth a twelfth an 18th an 11th and a sixth Again, pretty pretty middle of the road, eh? And then if you look to Eddie's, it's like, what, 32nd, 1st, 1st, 13th, 4th, 50, 9th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, 32nd, 33rd, 34th, 35th, 36th, 37th, 38th, 39th, 40th, 41st, 42nd, 43rd, 43rd, 44th, 45th, 46th, 47th, 48th, 49th, 50th, 51st, 52nd, 53rd, 54th, 55th, 56th, 57th, 58th, 59th, 60th, 61st, 62nd, 63rd, 64th, 65th, 66th, 67th, 68th, 69th, 70th, 71st, 71st, 72nd, 73nd, 74th, 75th, 76th, 77th, 78th, 79th, 80th, 81st, 82nd, 83rd, 84th, 85th, 86th, 87th, 88th, 89th, 90th, 91st, 92nd, 93rd, 94th, 95th, 96th, 97th, 98th, Great to see as well. I remember that that podium, Windmasters, Matt Walker and Eddie Masters, full Kiwi podium. Mm. Um, that was pretty cool to see in New Zealand as well. Yeah. Ah, I mean, New Zealand's certainly produced some amazing talent and I'm sure they would have been delighted. I'm just noting the results here as well. Uh, Cecile Ravenel won by 3 minutes and 15 seconds. Yep, I remember having to write a script about that as well. She, <laughs> she finished ahead of Ines Toma and Anita Gehrig. So just to put... Cecile's performance. This actually, and again, this is this is obviously the the very start of me covering Enduro World Series, and this was very typical of Cecile this season, if I remember right, in that she romped home and she won every stage apart from the last one, where she obviously just felt that I'll just roll off a bit, just in case something absolutely unprecedented happens. And still finished that stage fourth and won by over three minutes. And that was ahead of Innistoma and Anita Gehrig. So um no, it's it's another it's kind of like it's almost like a mellower Tweed Valley Rotorua, isn't it? And that the root count is right up there, but you haven't got the sort of the vertical sort of steepness. Like it's 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 a bit mellower. Yeah, I think some some of the trails there are similar similar to the Tweed Valley, have had quite a bit of use and they've, they've got down to a kind of harder surface. I found it very slick in the wet when, when I was there, uh, whereas I think sometimes the, the dirt around here has got a little bit more rock in it and a little bit less clay, so it can kind of get almost quite grippy when the water's on it, whereas I feel there it can, it can be a lot easier to, to make a mistake or have a crash, which I think is pretty reflective in the, in the results, but... Um, yeah, an amazing place to ride, um, rain or shine. Can you remember what the forest is called in Rotorua? Ooh, nah, I'm not even going to waste it. I'm not going to waste time trying to think of it, but... Uh, go it's on, the Farcarea Rea. The Farcarea Rea. There you go. Been, there you go. You've been waiting from the start of the podcast to say that, haven't you? Believe you me, that was not learnt in twenty seconds. I had to say that into a, I had to say that into a drone that was like floating about a meter above my head. A farcarea rea. Um, can't wait to go back to Rotorua. Just, just a brilliant place. Really, really interesting. Lots of um, 
really cool history and sort of unbelievable geographical sort of features and mud geysers and it's just a it's just a yeah it's everything you kind of hope that New Zealand would be right on to the next one win wonder and it is in the same place Rotorua Keegan Wright from 2019 now Keegan was awarded this the official winner after Martin Mays's non-intentional suspension um this is the year that Isabel Cordurier really took over from Cecile Ravenel as the dominant force um in the the pro women's field and won here which started her started the ball rolling on her perfect season Keegan really almost untouchable on this kind of terrain um you'd have to say it's maybe his Achilles heel slightly though as it is so specific as we were just mentioning isn't it like he he doesn't seem to have the pace elsewhere that he doesn't the in the Farca Raya Raya yeah I mean, I mean Keegan obviously a, a real local and um, I guess he'll have spent hundreds of hours riding the trails around that area but um, yeah I mean as, as a rider you can see you can see the style he has based on the way the trails are around there if that makes sense um, like I, think can, it, I think it does because it's for anybody who hasn't been there you just have to watch any of our highlights from there to see that the gradient is by no the, the gradient's reasonably mellow for a lot of our venues but at the same time like being able to to roll and pump and you know gap things transfer from side to side of the trail which is Keegan isn't it that's mm. what he's fantastic at he's got that BMX sort of power and speed and if a rider like him is gonna be produced anywhere it's in Rotorua I think yeah you, you can see where, how it translates so well into um the kind of pump track and slalom events that he does because the the downhill trails or the, the enduro trails there are, are pretty much like you know five six minute pump tracks but you know a few routes and uh, a few routes and flat corners for good measure it's uh, and, and what a place to ride as well like so much fun and um, one, one of the places that you, you feel could see riders use a, a slightly shorter travel bike or certainly not the the full kind of 170 mil bikes that we're seeing kind of trending at the moment would you agree with that i would yeah i would actually and it's somewhere that um i'm trying to i'm just as you were saying that i was racking my brains to think of who it was that i was talking to that mentioned before we went there last time that that might be something they looked at because my my abiding memory of riding in Rotorua is within about six feet of a stage starting. You're having a load of fun and there's that pumping, rolling speed. Like you're always, it feels really rare that both wheels of the bike are on the ground at the same time and aren't mm. about to be lifted off it again. Um, but my from my sort of average mountain bike riding head, I also remember about a minute or so into each stage once you start to physically sort of tire a bit and the accuracy maybe goes out of that pumping and rolling and lifting and jumping it becomes quite a hard physical place to ride because you need to do all that really accurately to carry the speed and that is something that a slightly lighter dirt is this the first time in the history of modern mountain bike media that someone's going to say a slightly steeper bike might work better compared to mm. some of the stuff we see now maybe and i'm talking mar- i'm talking marginal like, yeah yeah, yeah. hypothetical something like a santa cruz high tar mm. may be so slightly preferential and probably a lot of that's in my head as well yeah i think this was uh, from what i recall as well i i seem to remember this being one of the first races that we really saw people riding uh mixed wheel sizes and uh, so yeah, I mean, what was this like two years ago? Just over two years ago. So yeah, um, you know what? What now? It, it's pretty funny. You know, this was like I remember this specifically was the first time I'd seen someone riding a six fifty B on the back and a twenty nine on the front. And if you look at production bikes for twenty twenty one, like our bullets, for example, they've adopted this wheel size in production in the space of two years. It shows you how quick things move in this industry and, and you know, how companies like, like Santa Cruz have their, their finger on the pulse and they see something like this working and 
and they like right you know how is this how's yeah. how's this gonna you know how is this beneficial and and how can we make this um part of our production so um, pretty cool to see the lead time's pretty staggering and stuff like that isn't it you know mm. it takes a long time to design mock-up test and then order and ultimately have a container load of stuff produced but wasn't i think gt were on a small rear wheel at this weren't they with maze i remember he, he definitely was at the following round in derby on a smaller rear wheel i think noga was as well i think it was maybe more noticeable with her being a, a kind of shorter on a rider, smaller but, frame yeah. um but yeah this was the first time i'd seen it certainly and really I, really interesting race um florian nikolai third uh, Jesse Malamed fourth, Cole Lucas in fifth, and another Kiwi. Women's race, as I say, won by Isabel Cordurier, then 11 seconds adrift, Morgan Schaar. Uh, Bex Barona was in third, remember that? Great to see Bex in the podium there. Noga, you've just mentioned, was, on, was in fourth, and Becky Cook was in fifth. The under 21s, uh, Brady Stone, another Kiwi rider, took the win in the under 21 men, and Fenella Harris won the women's race. So, Really, really interesting set of results. Let's move on now to the very next race. And again, this is one that was affected by Martin Mays' non-intentional um, suspension. Florian Nikolai won in Derby. Florian, um, very quick to state after this that he, in light of what happened with Martin, that he didn't personally view that result as a win. Um, and I think that's an entirely personal thing um, as to how you view the luck of the draw was, you know, stuff like this. Um, I, to me, it's kind of, it's no different to when people talk about a weather-affected race. It's, mm. you know, it's up to you whether or not you think that it's a, you know, it's a roll of the dice, luck of the draw. We were, um, we were speaking about this the other day with the weather-affected races, weren't we? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think weather, weather, of course, is, you want to be talking about weather more than, non-intentional suspension but um i don't know there's a bit i mean it's a win's a win and um you know you've you've all you've all taken part in the same thing you've all uh, had a good crack at it um he did go into that title decider with sam hill talking about florian nicolai now uh without having won a race that season in his own head could that have made a difference to the 2019 title fight in zermatt if he had taken a victory somewhere else, do you think, under his own steam? Let's leave the let's let's park the Derby race with that um with that result that he was given after what happened to Martin. But um do you think if he'd won somewhere else, I mean I know the points would be skewed and stuff, that mentally that would have made a difference for the twenty nineteen title destination? Potentially. Um you know, I think I think he would he would definitely have more confidence or more how do I say this more belief had he kind of won the race or won a race outright um in the same way that you know when we talk about like weather affected races like if you won a race knowing that second third fourth came down in the wet you'd kind of as a, as a racer, and I'm I can only speak from for myself here. There is that asterisk beside it, as in you. If you if you know that it's maybe if the if it's not a level playing field, or you know there's something like an external factor that's maybe giving you the win. You don't. I don't feel you you get that confidence and that belief that that you want it right if you know what I mean mm -hmm. it's a difficult thing to sum up because ultimately I, I ultimately I'm, I'm with you a win is a win like whether that's affected by the weather or or, or otherwise um you, you are the the best one on the day given the conditions or given the given the circumstances or the rules or whatever but there is definitely a difference confidence wise between beating absolutely everybody fair and square and either winning in circumstances that are maybe detrimental to somebody else. And it's that's difficult to sum up. I think it's difficult because I think he... 
here, like just to set the, the backstory for people who maybe missed that season, and if you did miss that season, please go back and watch the uh, the highlights. They're all on our Enduro World Series YouTube channel because it was, I mean, the problem with classic seasons is that often at the time when you're in the middle of them, you don't realise that they're going to be classics. But 2019 was fascinating from a lot of different angles. But um, Florian Nikolai and Sam Hill both derived both arrived at the final race in Zermatt in Switzerland, under the shadow of the Matterhorn, both going for the title and both without having won a race. And they were visibly, I mean, you could you could have stood 30 foot away from each pit and they were very, very different racers who Florian just sort of looked like it had landed with him. The stress of the year had landed with him and this was a big thing and he couldn't put a wheel wrong. And Sam Hill looked like a, a heavyweight boxer who had two house bricks sewn into his gloves. Do you know what I mean? Like He just looked mm. like he was there to get the title business yep. like done. And um, I, always, I just kind of wonder if Florian had maybe grabbed a win in Madeira or grabbed a win somewhere else. And had that assuredness that, no, I've beaten these guys on their best days. Maybe the title could have been different. But. Mm. I mean, I guess I guess he had beaten them all on his best days. You know what I mean? Like, he'd beaten Sam multiple times that season. Um, so, I don't think... It, I, I, I doubt it, it came down to having not won as being the crux. I think it would be more down to Sam's... Sam's in a position where he's going for his third championship... And he's in a position that he's been in multiple times in his career. Florian, the kind of younger younger rider, going for his first championship, is in a position that he's never found himself in before. And probably there's quite a big, you know, I mean, he'd, he'd feel the pressure and the expectation, but if you've never been in that position, it's yeah. it can consume you kind of thing. It can It can... It can distract you from what you're actually trying to do, which is ride as fast as possible. And uh, you know, fortunately, fortunately for Sam, or unfortunately for Florian, you know, we we know how that turned out. Sam rose to the occasion. Florian, by no means, put a bad race together. I think he was still right there, but it came down to the Queen stage. You know, that was the thing. He he managed to take it to the wire, and I think as well, if you look at his results, um, limited as they were because of uh, COVID affected event schedule last season on a new team on track in an entirely new set of surroundings you know he he backed up Florian Nikolai what a, what a class character he is and what a good racer he is um, right let's move on move on to our next one win wonder and it's still in 2019 the season that just didn't stop producing drama and it was Eddie Masters in Les Ore. now this was a real real belter uh Definitely, I think, in my eyes, the enduro race format working at its best in terms of the, the kind of sporting drama that it can provide. Um, we turned up in Les Ors and there was, quite frankly, biblical weather. Uh, the organisers had to sweep into action at one stage. They were clearing hailstones out of the expo area with a bulldozer. Um, we were, And then after that, it just got weirder and better. I remember sitting in the hotel actually watching... The TV news um, over my breakfast in the morning, and there was footage of people's houses that have had like that have had hailstones like machine gunning through sheet metal and stuff. Like it was just <laughs> unbelievable. Like, Jesus. Um, we rode. We rode the next day, seem to remember. Um, and there was just these piles of like they weren't even they were like baseballs of hailstones either side of otherwise perfectly dry trails it was bonkers um come of the hour come of the man it was a freeway battle to the finish between adrian day richie rude and eddie masters adrian i think was still coming back from that elbow injury and i think he may have had a shunt somewhere along the line that aggravated it and forced him to, to throttle back a bit i remember being stood with Craig Miller as mechanic whenever Adrian actually sent him a text message to say basically that he was done and that he was just going to try and get the bike home um, from the penultimate stage uh, that was the first time I'd seen that did you ever ship the shore into the pits at all um, I thought that was quite interesting um, yeah I did a few times um, 
I think namely the one was probably when I butchered my wheel in Ensa, but I'm still kind of dealing with the PTSD from that, so I'm not going to, <laughs> still not going to too much. But yeah, I was always like, if I needed something from the from the guys in the pits, I'd always radio ahead or you know, everybody carries their phone on the phone on them, so just text ahead and say, right, I'm, you know, this is. This is, wrecked. this is wrecked or I need that or um, usually it was to do with like make sure there's food because I'll be starving <laughs> but uh, um, thankfully I never had to do it in a, in a sense of um, being kind of injured yeah. or, or hurt but um, yeah. I remember because it, it wasn't it was an unpleasant it was an unpleasant one because I think Adrian was he'd gone from being right at the sharp end to having injured that elbow and it was I've I've seen it a lot over my career of racers trying to get back to that sharp end whenever they're really not fit enough to do so or they really haven't, you know, recovered enough. I mean, the late great Stevie Smith, we he lost a lot of races due to just repeatedly injuring an ankle, didn't mm. he? That's just it, it would never heal right or it would it or he would hurt it at the first of a series of races and that would just sort of compound damage it and um, mm. Adrian with that elbow for about a year and a half and I think only last season whenever he took that win we're starting to see him firing back in all cylinders again mm. he probably yeah they probably the extended break between 19 and 20 was probably uh, probably quite welcome for him and gave him that little bit of time and um, let it rest and and kind of develop strength and stability into it. So, but a great seeing back. But yeah, back to, back to Eddie Masters winning. Back to the toe ball. It was a fairly resounding victory too, wasn't it? Um, I think we were all sort of. Eddie's a very he's a very popular character around the pits, and I think that we were all starting to believe. And then, he won both of the final stages to beat Richie Rude home, uh, just under a second in the overall uh, I can't remember seeing a rider as quickly engulfed by other riders after a victory either can you? No I, like you say Eddie's really popular in the pits and um, you know I think the, the way his, his fellow racers embraced him at the finish and, and reacted it kind of shows that um, also I think you have to say it was coming for a while um, it was I, yeah it, it was it wasn't I didn't think it was a huge surprise. You know, he's been there, there about multiple times, a few podiums, some stage wins. Um, I think everyone besides besides probably Richie maybe was 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 happy to see him, him finally get one and and take the win. Yeah, it felt like the win, as you say, we'd all sort of suspected was coming from Eddie. Um, it just felt so tough that he'd have to close the deal by beating Richie, who has done historically so much winning over the years. And he generally radiates an aura of just kind of bulletproof invincibility. Yeah. Um, I, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think Richie's one of these riders when he's on a roll and when he's riding with confidence and is putting together stage wins, you struggle to see somebody else that can beat him. I think that. there's only Rich, there's only Richie and Sam that have that. I think in recent years that they, and I think it's maybe I'm maybe building a bit of the personality thing into it, and that they're both quite quiet, sort of focused individuals. And I think that just that you know, two time champ closes races out. That's what that's what his business is. His business is winning titles, and Eddie just took it to him. Took those two stages off him to finish it. Mm. Um, only a second to play for by the end of it. Um, just an absolutely sensational win. Lit the whole place up. Um, and after that race, then it was all of a sudden it was a freeway title fight, wasn't it? Sam Hill, Florian Nikolai, Eddie Masters, and Eddie was the only one of them who'd won a race outright, I think, at that point in the season. Um, mm. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be, as he then broke a scaphoid after a huge crash in North Star. If you're going to put a hand out anywhere and damage a wrist, North Star, with that much dust and that much big rocks, would be the place to do it. Um, he, I remember seeing him after he'd had, let's just say, several lungfuls of gas and air. And uh, was it this 
put it put it this way, was no longer in any pain after that crash. I think it was actually in practice, wasn't it? Um, it definitely. I don't know as much as a joker and as a sort of a, a sort of living large sort of guy as Eddie is like. It definitely cemented the fact that he was a potential race winner, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I think the I think the win with Eddie was coming for a long time, and um, I think you know, it, it, was it the 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 win in you know the win in France had kind of given that given him that belief and almost that that he he should be winning races, and then he. He maybe just got a little bit carried away and and tried to go a little bit too hard and you know it's never it's never great when when you lose a, a title contender through injury and um, at the same time Eddie does have a bit of a you know all or nothing reputation when it comes to racing I think um, you know I think a lot of his speed comes from how loose and and relaxed he is on the bike and 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 also at the races and you know in this case it, it bit him and. And effectively, that was that was his title run over. With it went from a three horse race to a two horse race, just like that. You only have to look at any of those stage bottom interviews with Eddie. He looks like you know the we uh, you know the emoji of the two pairs of eyes of the pair of eyes looking sideways. Like that is what his <laughs> eyes his eyes look like after every run. Just these big eyes where he's just throwing everything as you say at a stage and let the chips land as they may but do you think we'll do you think we'll see a couple more wins from him do you think um he could be in for a title this year if we look at 2020 uh the two italian races we had it in, in pietra and, and finale he was you know back to back fifth places and uh you know i think it was quite a, an iconic shot of him having one of the biggest moments you could possibly have without crashing on one of the stages but um yeah I also think that you know the double events this year might suit him. Um, I thought that actually. You know the I feel the venues, the kind of, you know the Canizao, Valdefasa, and, and Latuil. He was been on the podium in Latuil before. The kind of big downhill stages, doing them, you know, effectively doing the same course bar maybe, you know, a stage or two, twice. Uh, you know, with his kind of background in downhill, will he, you know, will he find? A lot more speed the second time through. He's he's one of the few riders I know that doesn't walk trails. Like I know Sam and Florian, you'll you'll see those guys out walking however many stages they can, lead up to the race. Eddie doesn't. He just feels that, you know, or I think his his famous catchphrase is mainline with confidence. Um, <laughs> but you know, you know, not to labour out a point, but you know, he's also I think we spoke about him having a fairly major major kind of injury this off season. Did he break his pelvis or fracture mm. his pelvis? So it'll be interesting to see how the recovery's gone from that. And and knowing Eddie, he probably won't let him. Affect, it won't probably let it affect him too much. But no, and I I think I think as well like one of the things we mentioned concerning Eddie before is that you know he has this really sort of famously loose approach to just about everything um loves a party loves a bit of fun but at the same time one of the most physically fit guys in the pits Mm. and i think when you ride the way he does that only ever benefits you and you saw the that save that um you just mentioned is on it's on you might have scrolled back a bit but it is a standalone clip on the enduro world series instagram which is world under slash enduro and it's kind of a case in point for being as physically fit as he is and riding the way he does in that it gives you that strength and that reaction speed to save things like that and mm. to keep it rubber side down. Um, I think definitely more wins. And I think, I mean, who knows? If we get another season like 2019, you know, he could well be in in the running. But listen, we need to move on to uh, a first for our one-win wonders. And it is our first pro women's one win wonder and that is Melanie Pujan in Pietra Ligari twenty twenty. Finally a pro women's one win wonder and uh Melanie Pujan, Vittoria EWS Pietra Ligari from last season, uh, remarkable win. And that was it was her first EWS win, but not her first of that season. Just weeks before she'd won the specialised EWS E Zermatt, which had stunned a few people on her e-bike, and then she got off that back onto a normal bike, and 
we're, I think we should set up an acoustic bike swear box for this podcast. It, just, <laughs> it goes through me like a train. But um, that was, I think, th- that's one of those things that I think we could be talking about in 10, 15 years' time. Hopefully, you know, you and I will still be doing the podcast in 10 or 15 years' time. But I think it'll be something that you'll look back on as quite a moment in mountain bike racing to have someone step off an e-bike when and jump back onto a normal bike and went on that as well. Yeah, and and she looked she looked so strong in both events. Um, you could barely tell the difference between what bike she was riding. You know, had she not had the mechanical in the EWS and Zermatt, we could have been looking at her winning. You know, both events there, but um, I think the main thing to take away from from her winning Pietra was it was a big statement to bring Isabeau's winning streak to an end you know after the, the perfect season in 2019 and then she won in Zermatt and um, you know it must have been it must have been great for Melanie but it also must have been a huge motivation for the rest of the women's field to see that she is beatable and yeah, it kind of makes it you know that, that much more exciting for for 2021 I mean there's, there's lots of impressive things about that result for me and they're all sort of like they're all hidden away under the, the headline news, obviously, that it was a win. I mean, if you look at the stage results um, on those uh, five stages, second, third, first, 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 you know, like, they're just mm. an absolutely supreme all-round performance. Yeah. Um, Here's a knowledge bomb as well. I was actually on stage two, and mm-hmm. she had a little slide-out kind of tip-over in front of me. So that third place on stage two probably isn't a... Probably isn't huge alert. Like if you think, you know, oh, she was maybe just slightly off. She was, yeah. She she spent a good few seconds on the ground. I remember in the the work chat because we obviously we have a big WhatsApp group that's just as much information from all over the course as we can. And I remember you putting in that she just she she just thrown it on the deck, mm. and that still was good enough for her to give you an indication the speed she was going. She was going. Um, she was also the only woman inside the top 10 who was not a fully registered team. So just, you know, a, a difference of support there as well. Um, she followed that up with a second place at the next race at the Bluegrass EWS Finale Ligary. Um, there's a strong case to be made for rider of the season last year for Melanie Pujan, isn't there? Definitely. I think um, from, from a rider I'd hadn't heard much about and then I remember seeing her on course the first time kind of being who who's that you mean you could mm. straight away like you know I think it, you'll, you'll know this as well as me but sometimes when you're on the side of the trail and I used to get this when I raced if you were just in practice watching somebody go through a section or you know now that I'm kind of on course more for the the benefit of the riders rather than myself I can kind of watch riders more and I, I get I get more into it and I remember seeing her on course in Zermatt and being like, "Who is that?" Like I didn't. Yeah. Truthfully, I didn't. I didn't really know much about her. And then obviously the e-bike race went by, and I'm like, "Oh, you know, I think, I think we, we, we didn't even really bring her up in the in the pre-show because we were kind of convinced Tracy Mosley was going to walk away with it and didn't even give her a chance. She just she was a we knew. Yeah, she um, was. She in that different um, level. It, it, it maybe shouldn't have been as big a surprise in that. The big thing that I would say really defined that um, e-bike victory in Zermatt was just her power to weight is phenomenal. You know, she's a very slight rider. As we, well, you you probably experienced more than I did the other day, the the old trick of banging a couple more gears into an e-bike than you think you need in a climb to get, it, to get that torque sort of when you need it. Mm. She was just standing on the pedals and just dancing up stuff. Um, Big statement, as you say, halted that winning streak. And she is, well, she wasn't last season, but obviously she is now someone that we're going to be talking a lot about as we go into the 2021 Mm. races. Um, And finally then, our final one-win wonder, Morgan Schaar, Finale Ligary 2020. I think this was just a matter of when and not if, wasn't it? Um, She was going to win one. Such a capable rider. Yeah, I think, I mean... I still when when you say Morgan Shaw, I still can't look past her at the the two thousand and thirteen I think it was two thousand and thirteen World Championships in Liugang, 
where she just, the bottom section of the technical part, she just took the women's field to pieces and ended up being the, the, the world champion. And um, like you say, a rider as talented as, as her, it was just a matter of time you felt and it was just going to take her a little bit of time to figure out. And, you know, race by race, we've seen her get closer and there's maybe always been that. Um, that other very fast French rider um, in the form of Isabel Corduri in the way, but um, let's face it, there's always three or four fast French riders. I was gonna say, team. yeah, but um, look, flat pedals, bags of talent. Um, great to see her get a win, you know, uh, as part of that pivot team. And I mean, are we are we looking at uh, are we looking at a title contender for twenty twenty one? Her and Melanie Pugin, do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you take the the champion elect, which of course we didn't have an overall for individual riders last season, just teams. The champion elect, you always, I think, currently have to say is Isabel Corduria because she's just, you know, she's the complete package and she's fast no matter what the conditions are, what the stages are doing. And if you're her, you then think about who are you looking at that's going to be close to you whenever, like, whenever the racing comes to a finish. And it has to be those two, Melanie Pujan and Morgan Shar, before you even get into the likes of the Noga Karems. Mm. Um, ALN, Katie Winton on her new deal, Estelle Charles, who was on the podium and finale as well. Yeah. I mean, Hattie Harden, yeah, Hattie Harden. I think we're heading into a really what's going to be a classic golden age for the pro women's field. And I feel that 2021 is going to be more open than it's ever been before, but um, yeah. I've, you've you've written something in the script here. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna take off you and throw it back at you. Yeah. Who's gonna Who's gonna be the next first time winner of an EWS? Well, because I came up with this, I've already thought of who I'm gonna say. So I think we should have one rider each. So I will go first, Jack Moyer. Oh, so you think the next person who hasn't won one before is gonna be Jack Moyer, yeah. right? Uh, well, let's do men. Let's do men first, and we we'll do women. I'm gonna say. Jack Moyer's a good shout as well, isn't it? But in the interests of, um, in the interest of being a bit different, I am gonna say, boom, boom, boom. I still think Dimitri Toro is gonna win one soon. Yeah, that's a good shout. He would be if I had a short list of like three, he'd be on it. Um, I think, I think Vidal will be on it. It might not be this year. Uh, I'd say you're, yeah. The next two seasons, it'll be a win for Vidal somewhere. Mm-hmm. Definitely. If and I'd be, I would be surprised if that was only one win. Pro women, I'm gonna say Hattie Harnden. I'm gonna get there before you and before you. Do. It's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to look past it, isn't it? Mm. Um, oh, this is a tough one. I think I'm gonna have to go. I mean, I 100% agree with you on Hattie Harnden. But I think I'm gonna to have to go Ella Connolly. Ella Connolly's a good shout too. Yeah, um, she's presumably gonna be fully healed up now as well because I know 2020 she was carrying a few niggles, wasn't she? I think she did. You get her first podium in Zermatt, maybe, um, and and visibly looked really good between between the tapes mm-hmm. and I saw. Her, so, you know, another, you know, and and, and she's come out under you, you know under 21s pretty pretty recently, so. Another year under her belt and another off-season training, she'll be that little bit stronger and fitter. And um, yeah, I, I think it was Madeira. Madeira twenty nineteen was her first podium. Not to be, you know, an idiot. Was it? John. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Ella. I thought. It's all right. Yeah, just, there just, we go. just trying to keep you. Trying to keep things accurate. <laughs> no, you're right. Actually, accurate. you've thanks for rekindling my memory, Rick. <laughs> no, no, no problem at but all. No, I think. One. So I'm right there. <laughs> No, she's not one one. No, you are right. Yeah, you're right in that assertion. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think the uh, I think it's going to be fascinating with um, with that particular question. And I think we should get whoever whoever's the next person to win one. We should get them on and we can have a talk about it. And say we we and then we'll say we 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 knew you were going to win one. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back and we'll edit this so that we both say their name. That it was definitely going to be X Rider, and then. We'll just put that in and they won't be any the wiser, right? Um, any other business before we call us a day? Uh, I think they've been listening to us for long enough, so probably put them in their misery and call it a day. That's it. That's how we'll, that's how we'll round this podcast up. Good shout. Yeah, let's put them out of their misery. Right, okay. Um, tell you what, let's meet back next week. And we're only we're inside a month now before uh, before we have to go racing, so mm. I'm excited. Yeah. Let's, um, 
let's have another week at the coal face of the Enduro World Series and then reconvene to see what we've been up to. All right, Riri, thanks very much for your time. Speak to you next week. No worries, mate. Catch you soon.